this is no longer a partisan issue. This is a human issue. This is a local government issue. Because like I said earlier, we wait so long for the state government to take action and the federal government when there are things we can be doing right now at the local level. Can Oklahoma's third largest city set a standard for clean energy in the state? Bria Clark is the recently elected mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City. Her city is the first in the state to adopt a 100% renewable energy goal, and it has already piloted strategies to use the city's power to get there. I'm John Farrell, director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is our special Voices of 100 series focused on local leaders and their pursuit of 100% renewable energy. It's all part of Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Bria, welcome to Local Energy Rules. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and to share our story. So there are over 100 cities that have made 100% renewable energy commitments like Norman, but they differ in terms of scope and in terms of timeline. Could you explain what Norman has committed to? Sure. We have committed to renewable energy by 2035, mostly wind and solar, and then by 2050, a complete transition to renewable energy, everything from heat to transportation. So as we were saying before we started the recording, you've recently been elected mayor. Congratulations after serving on the city council. I looked over your campaign page as part of doing some background research to understand your perspective coming into this issue on renewable energy. And I was curious, how do you see this 100% pledge as part of your campaign's focus on infrastructure? I noticed it was the top of your issues page for your campaign for mayor. It is. You know, at the local level, we don't really deal with partisan issues like gun rights or abortion or anything. I like to say uh, partisan politics don't fill potholes. So we deal a lot with infrastructure at the local level. And built into that, we do obviously a lot of construction, especially in Norman right now with a recent initiative passed in 2015 called Norman Forward that builds a lot of quality of life projects. And so in terms of infrastructure, it's everything from your basic roads and whatnot all the way to the city buildings that we are constructing. And it's been very important for us to be sustainable in how we do that. You know, we can wait forever for the state government and the federal government or (laughs) like literally wait forever for them to do something or we can do it on our own. And I've been very proud of how Norman has taken the initiative to make sure as we build our roads and our city facilities that we are being sustainable. So it is a key piece of moving forward with infrastructure and a main role that local government plays. So, Thanks to cost-effective wind and solar power, electricity is typically the easiest strategy in shifting to renewable energy. And you kind of mentioned in the stages for Norman's goal, you're going to focus on electricity first and then heating and transportation or in the long run. Like most 100% cities, though, Norman is served by utility companies that it doesn't own. So how do you see the city having the power to help shift the electricity use of municipal buildings, but also residents and businesses toward renewable energy in order to meet that 2035 goal? That is a fantastic question and something that we very much have wrestled with, but we were not going to let that stop us from making this commitment. So fortunately, the timing has worked out that we are negotiating our franchise agreement with OG&E. OG&E is our main electricity provider, but we also have OEC for a lot of our rural areas, and we can't control those boundary lines. So we've had to get creative in, in working with those partners, and having that franchise agreement fall at this time to be renegotiated was, again, quite fortuitous. So we've gotten presentations. Well, actually, our ECAB, Environmental Control Advisory Board, formed a subcommittee in 2018 after we passed Ready for 100 
And they were tasked with putting together a timeline of how we'll get to where we need to be that they will present to us in January of uh, January 1 of 2020. And they, that group specifically, has gotten presentations on the uh, renewable energy portfolios and long-term plans from OG&E and OEC to learn what they're doing to get us in this direction. Because it isn't just a Norman issue. You know, this is a worldwide issue. And I think the sooner these companies realize that, the better we'll all be. And we've had some great projects already come through. Uh, OEC has a solar garden right off of one of our main highways through Norman. And we, there's been talks with possibly the schools going towards green energy and solar. And I know as we are renovating our municipal complex, we're also having conversations about how do we incorporate solar. So there's a lot of things that timing really worked out well for us. So yes, it is difficult when we don't have our own municipal electricity, but we plan to take fully advantage of this opportunity that we have. I'm really interested in terms of the franchise agreement. So I, a bit of history here about myself, have been involved in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we had a similar franchise agreement expiring five years ago in 2014 between the city and its electric and gas utilities. And out of that came this really novel clean energy partnership, which you may or may not have heard of if you've spent any time Googling about franchise agreements like I do. And so I, I'm kind of curious in terms of the conversations around the franchise, and this is maybe getting too much into the weeds, but are there a lot of rules at the state level, but like the state franchise law that kind of constrain the level of conversation that you can have with the utility companies? Do you feel like there's some really interesting like points of leverage for the city in that conversation? Well, to be honest, our franchise agreement has expired. So we are operating with an expired one right now as we really try to move forward on this. You know, the electrical companies will tell you it's hard for our investors to invest in us when we don't have a long-term commitment. But how technology is changing so quickly, not having commitments to green energy or at least a shorter franchise agreement is insane. And I think our council realizes that and we're having a really hard time with a 25 year without a full commitment that matches ours. So we are allowed to have these conversations, but again, the boundaries are set by our uh, corporation commission. So we are limited, but we're getting creative and I'd love to see what you've done. It sounds like we could learn a lot from it because we were not the first one in Oklahoma to push back, but it looks like we're the best well positioned to show that we can have better policies and long-term agreements than what we currently have in place for all of Oklahoma. Well, I'm happy to follow up separately about the franchise agreement and some of the work that we did in Minneapolis. I wouldn't say that it was a, a huge win necessarily, but we did get some of the things that you're looking for around a shorter franchise agreement and some public commitments by the utility companies to help the city reach its climate action goals, which are not entirely the same as the renewable energy, but have a lot of alignment in terms of carbon emissions, renewable energy resources, and access to renewables for customers. So yeah, happy to share more at another time. Send it my way, please. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. It's uh, It's been an interesting experience to share about and always exciting. I actually just heard over social media in the past week that the city of Chicago, Illinois, also has an expiring franchise agreement. And if you have, as I mentioned before, spent a little time doing franchise agreement research, uh, Chicago is kind of the one who set the standard for making it a big public issue about 30 years ago when that franchise expired last. So it's a, it's an exciting time for cities to be talking about, like, you know, what, what leverage do we have? And this is one of those key pieces. I completely agree. Well, you know, as our, our country is out of the Paris Accords and, and all of that, 
uh, we're still committed, Norman is, through the U.S. Mayor's Climate Agreement. So we are very much committed to this. And we're, we are prepared to do what we can to protect not only our environment, but our city's future, which is what it comes down to. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, unlike a lot of cities that have made these commitments or some of the other conversations we've had that are really just focused on the goal, it was right around the same time that Norman passed its 100% renewable energy goal that also passed a policy that actually pushes in that direction. It was about helping make new homes more energy efficient by offering a discount on the permitting fees that the city would charge on the permit for a new home. So I'm just kind of curious about that. The news story I read suggested it was just a six-month pilot. So how did that program go? Is it going to continue? And are there other ways the city is thinking about using that particular permitting power or whatever to align with its clean energy goal? Yes, definitely. Thank you for that question. It was a successful pilot. When we put that in place, we had about 94 homes that were built take advantage of that incentive policy, which is about 25% of the homes built during that pilot period. Uh, We plan to extend that through December because it was so successful. I hope that we can continue to incentivize in a variety of ways. We are also looking to streamline our code enforcement policies regarding solar panels. Apparently, we haven't been very clear on that, and that has sadly deterred some solar panel development in homes, so we're hoping to clean that up. I mean, incentives can only go so far, so it'll be how far are we willing to go with just enforcing low-impact development? But for now, we're definitely happy to explore the incentive piece of it and continue it on. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our Voices of 100 interview with Norman, Oklahoma Mayor Bria Clark, talking about sundown towns, key partners in the city's renewable energy work, and a high school in Kansas that gives her inspiration. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So this next question, I was doing some background reading in Wikipedia about Norman. But what I came across was that Norman was one of thousands of cities across the U.S. during the Jim Crow era, which were known as sundown towns, where African-Americans were not allowed to live or where it was generally considered unsafe for them to be seen after sundown. So really unfortunate part of our history uh, in the United States. And the reason I bring it up is that cities like Atlanta or Pueblo, Colorado, that have made similar clean energy commitments, have talked a lot about making sure that the transition works well for all residents, You know, especially those in communities of color or that are low income. So this sort of sparked me as I was reading that to ask you, are there elements of that in 
Norman's commitment in terms of like the language that was adopted or plans around how do you make sure energy stays affordable for folks who are on the margins or how do you make sure that they can participate in things like saving energy, reducing their bills or even going solar? I completely agree. It's, it's got to be accessible and it is very much an equality issue. We actually have a citizen organization in Norman called the Norman Citizens for Racial Justice, and they provided the city a list of action items, and many of them centered around the environment because it's so often that the lower income areas of the city will have the least access to resources. And not just stuff with renewable energy and the affordability of that, but even you know food deserts and healthy food retail options. So I really appreciated those citizens coming forward with that list of things that we need to be aware of. And it is about keeping it affordable. And luckily that's happening naturally within the market, but we need to make it easy to build as well. So uh, we're also interested in, in protecting our water. We could possibly be the first community in Oklahoma to commit to uh, impotable uh, indirect re- reuse, which I'm very excited about because we do control that. But uh, I think it, it very much is an equality issue, and we have to be mindful of, of everybody in the city. I know that we've taken advantage of a lot of grant programs, you know, everything from giving away rain barrels to um, the electrical vehicle plug-in sites, making those all over Norman as well. So we are doing our part, and like any community, we can always do better. But I'm excited to to move forward with that in mind. You know, we need to make sure these people are included in our committees and are a part of the discussion because I'm very mindful of assuming people's situations and the issues that they're dealing with. And so I think having open, honest conversations about what those situations are will help guide us as we move forward to having that full outline of executing ready for 100 by 2020. The plan by 2020, (laughs) not the full renewable energy. Another key piece, I think, of sustainability is a good public transit system. We've had a unique situation here in Norman where, you know, we're home to the University of Oklahoma and they were in a time of transition as well and severed our 30-year partnership with the bus system. And so we've been scrambling this past year to take it over, make sure there's no lapse in transit make sure we have energy efficient buses. Norman was the second city in the state to have CNG garbage trucks. So we're, we're mindful of especially these bigger vehicles. And so not only do we want those to be clean vehicles, but we want to make sure that people in town use it. You know, so often I hear from, you know, why are we investing in this? People in Oklahoma don't use the bus. Well, they don't now, but what if we invested in it and made it better routes and more affordable? And then you can drive less. And so that part is also a sustainable part I think any local government should be mindful of, but then goes back to the equality and accessibility issue as well. And so that's going to be a key piece of what we look at, providing those services, but make sure they're also as green as possible. I think that's a great point. Nationally, there's been a lot of conversation about clean energy and transit with the Volkswagen settlement money around the the company's dishonesty about emissions records and the settlement with states. And a lot of that money has been invested in transit options, uh, as well as like electric vehicles. And it's interesting in a, in a report that we were look, did last year on a vehicle electrification and whatnot, one of the things that we came across, although we don't work on transportation a whole lot at ILSR was, as you kind of mentioned about like buses, you got a lot of people who don't own cars, for example, they've got a lot of then more buses running through their communities. You tend to target bus service towards communities where people are going to use it more. 
And those buses, when they're diesel, put out a lot of air pollution, you know, particulate emission and other issues. And so focusing on clean energy in the transit system is a great opportunity to address equity in terms of where the pollution is happening, as well as cleaning up the system writ large. So glad to hear that that Norman's already been focused on that. And, and good luck in that dealing with the fallout of a 30-year partnership on transit coming to an end. That sounds like quite a challenge. It has been. It really has. It's really consumed our staff for the past year, but I I think we've got a great plan that not only focuses on public transit in Norman, but connects to public transit in the Oklahoma City metro area. So we really are setting ourselves up for a city that doesn't have to drive as much, that therefore has a cleaner environment and less impervious surfaces with parking lots and things like that. So I'm very excited. And while a lot of this seemed challenging at first, franchise agreement negotiations, bus system going away. The big picture, if you step back, is that it has actually provided us with a very unique timing opportunity to set us up to be successful with our Ready for 100 commitment. One thing I wanted to ask you in terms of wrapping up is about what advice you might offer to others. And I think this is going to be an interesting question for you, because as you say, you have this unique timing issue. So, you know, Norman is the only Oklahoma city that has made a 100% renewable energy commitment. And you have these really remarkable changes that are taking place both around your transit system and around the relationship with utilities. It seems like one piece of your advice might be seize those moments. Is there other advice that you would offer to cities that are looking at this 100% renewable energy goal, maybe that are sort of hesitant to put themselves out there and to consider it? What would you offer as advice to them? Partnerships and collaborations. This is no longer a partisan issue. This is a human issue. This is a local government issue because, like I said earlier, we wait so long for the state government to take action and the federal government when there are things we can be doing right now at the local level. And yes, it all takes money. And that's why, especially the public-private partnerships are so important. You've got to collaborate with your partners and you have to get community involvement. I mentioned we have the Environmental Control Advisory Board that is a, a volunteer board of citizens who are helping create this map on how we get there. But we also have other social justice organizations making sure we're mindful of that as we move forward. And there, there's tensions from time to time, like in any level of government. But that's exactly what we need. It's the good kind of conflict that brings about real and equitable change. So have conversations, include people in the process, let your partners know what you're going for, and your requests are not unreasonable. All we're doing is trying to plan for a better, safer future and a better and safer environment that if it comes down to the bottom line of the dollar, it saves money in the long run. So don't be afraid to be a trailblazer. Call on us when you're ready to move forward, and we will be more than happy to share our experiences, both good and bad, because it is difficult, but it's worth committing to. Are there any private businesses or nonprofit organizations or others that you feel like have been particularly helpful already just in terms of making the pledge and kind of getting oriented around what it means kind of in those early stages, organizations that there might be a parallel to in, in other communities? Well, in terms of the transit piece and, you know, the the grant money with the electric vehicles, Oklahoma has done a great job with the kind of settlement money that we've gotten. For example, with the tobacco companies, we set up the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust, TSET, which continues to invest in healthy living throughout our communities. So Oklahoma does that very right and know what those are. So with the Association for the Central Oklahoma Governments, they've really helped us explore ideas on how we do that. 
Uh, we've worked with local cities to create the regional transit authority again, which will help us with regional transit to uh, help reduce the number of vehicles being driven in our community. In terms of nonprofits, we work with our Sierra Club. They don't hesitate to come out and say, how can we help? Here's some advice. Here's the Ready for 100 commitment. And involve people, again, from all walks of life. We have teachers that are working diligently to include students in the advocacy process of bringing solar energy to public schools. And it's fascinating. And I'm from Wichita, Kansas originally. I went to Mays High School. And if you haven't seen what they've done with their solar energy, you need to check that out because it's really impressive. And I believe they're the first district, not ever, but at least in Kansas, to initiate something like that. That, again, is a huge investment for their future. And so there are models out there. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And people are so excited about the opportunity we have to protect our future and our financial future, frankly, they're going to be happy to share their story. So I look forward to working with my physics professor back in high school who really spearheaded that initiative at, at Mays and bring it here and see what we can do right here in Norman, Oklahoma. So last question, I like to leave people with something that they can kind of wrap their heads around right away. I'm just curious if there's something that you've read or heard about that sort of inspires you in this work that we could share with our listeners. For me, I think it's the Mays High School one. It was an idea that a professor had about making his school completely 100% solar, renewable energy, and he worked his way up through the school board. He held fundraisers at car washes to got corporate partners to donate. So he can speak about the community building. I mean, the way he involved alumni from the high school it's truly inspiring. And I'm I'm so, again, a timing piece that is huge for Norman. You know, the mayor who's invested in, in Ready for 100, we're hiring a sustainability coordinator, went to that high school. <laughs> I have donated to that project. So I know it can be done. And that's the biggest thing is, is seeing these people be successful. We're so often so scared to try something new, especially when it's such massive investment and different than we've ever done before. But people are doing it. Find those success stories. Mine right now is Mays High School and the progress we've already made right here in Norman, Oklahoma. And I know we can do it. And it's never too late to get started until it is. So get started as soon as you can. Well, Mayor Clark, it has been a pleasure talking to you about the work that you've already done, but also about the inspiration that you're finding. And I'm excited to share that story. We'll make sure to look up a little bit more about this high school in Kansas that's leading out solar and make sure that we have some links for folks on our show page, as well as to some of the other initiatives going on right there in Norman. Thank you again for joining me for this conversation. You're very welcome. Thank you for sending me the documents that we mentioned. And, and we are all in this together and local governments are where we're going to make it happen. I'm confident. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% podcast series with recently elected Mayor Bria Clark of Norman, Oklahoma. Her city is the first in the state to adopt a 100% renewable energy goal and has already piloted strategies to achieve this ambitious target. To learn about other cities pursuing 100% renewable energy, check out our 12 additional Voices of 100% interviews, including leaders in Atlanta and Cleveland, or even little Bloomfield, Iowa. On ILSR's website, you can also see the entire list of 100% cities on our community power map and click through an interactive community power toolkit on ways cities can advance toward their goal. Tune back in to Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.